Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and I'm glad that you have found the Speaking for Him podcast. It's my privilege to be your host each and every Wednesday, and I hope that you will be encouraged as you traverse the journey of the Christian life. We know here that the Christian life is a marathon and not a sprint, and that we need each other. Today I return to my series on the myths about Jesus, and to me this is so important as we rightly divide the word of truth, because there are a lot of things that the world believes about Jesus that just are not true when measured against the standard of Scripture. So that is what we are going to continue to do today, and I'm really excited to dive into this one with you, because I think it's very important to understand this key point, because I really believe that it is foundational to all of Christianity. And today's myth that we are going to be busting is Jesus was inclusive. Now, of course, you have to define what inclusive means, but usually when the world says it, they mean he spent time with sinners, he doesn't care what lifestyle you live and he just wants to show you love. But as I've said on this podcast many times before, Jesus didn't just die on the cross because he loved us. He died on the cross because that was the way he could give us a better life. And so as we unpack this topic, we need to look at it through this lens. And so we're going to start with our quote of the day. Now our quote of the day comes from John chapter 3 verse 3. Many of us are familiar with John 3.16, but really the whole chapter is very important to the salvation message. And this is a conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, who was a religious leader of the day, and he's realizing that Jesus is not just a normal human, that he came from God, and so he's having a dialogue with Jesus. And this is what Jesus says Very early in this chapter, John 3, verse 3 says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is one thing that it has always bugged me to see in popular culture, and that is the coexist bumper sticker. And the coexist bumper sticker shows all of the popular religions of the world and just implies that we should all get along. And I have seen professing Christians have this on their car, and it never made any sense to me, because the very nature of Christianity is that Jesus is saying, you have to do this specific thing to become a Christian, to become a part of the kingdom of God, You have to do one specific thing. And what is that specific thing? You must be born again. So by the very nature of that statement, Jesus is saying we can't all coexist. Now, of course, you need to define the term coexist because, of course, we are called to, as much as lies with us, live at peace with all men. So we can definitely exist in the same space, but we can't all coexist like every religion leads the same place because as we will continue to unpack, Jesus is the way. That's actually the first main point 
that I want to get to today is that Jesus is the way. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no man comes unto the Father but by me. So let's read this verse again. Jesus saith unto him, this is Philip, this is the upper room discourse. Jesus saith unto him, Philip, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So if anybody tells you that there's another way to God besides coming through Jesus to the Father, they are wrong. Paul even said, if anyone preaches to you another gospel, let him be accursed. That's how important this is to God, is there's only one way, and we have to follow that way to get to heaven. And if there wasn't only one way, do you think Jesus would have gone to the cross? I bring this up because when Jesus was in the garden, he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So if you think for one minute that the perfect son of God would have died for us on a wooden cross, which is the worst torture and execution, if there was another way, you are sadly mistaken. He died on the cross because it was the only way. So, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And yes, that is an exclusionary statement. And yes, we have to abide by it if we want to get to heaven. Now, before I go any further, I want to say that this particular podcast topic is actually split into two different categories. The first part is the things that Jesus is to us and the way that we get in into heaven, things pertaining to our belief. The second part is expectations that Jesus has if we are believers. So I just wanted to put that out there, that that is how we are dividing the show. So the second point in our first section of belief is belief in Jesus is the difference between life and death. Some people will say, well, you believe in Jesus And I'll believe what I believe, and we can just live in harmony, and it doesn't really matter. And from a human perspective, there are there may be some times when you wish that was true, that it doesn't really matter what people believe, we can just all get along. But the Bible tells us very clearly that this is a matter of life and death. And we're going back to John chapter 3 for this statement. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So we see here that we have two choices. Either we believe on the Son, we believe on Jesus, and we have everlasting life, or we choose not to believe on him, and we do not have life. We will not see life. You see, when... Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the fall of man happened, and death came upon all men and upon nature. We read in Romans that all nature groans for the completion of the redemption of Jesus. 
when Jesus comes back, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and things and animals and people will no longer die. But the moment that Adam and Eve took of the fruit and disobeyed God, death became a reality for all humankind. And so the reality is that either we will choose Jesus and have eternal life, which will never be taken away from us, or we will choose not to follow Jesus and we won't see life because the wrath of God will abide on us. See, often we think about the love of God, and the love of God is great. It's amazing. I'm grateful every day for the love of God. Without the love of God, I would not be able to live and move and have my being. The love of God is what sustains me. But what we often don't understand is that without the love of God, we would face the wrath of God. You see, God is a wrathful God against sin. That's why he sent Jesus to die, so that he could unfold that wrath on his very son's shoulders. And we should be very thankful for that. So belief in Jesus is the difference between life and death. This next one is a little bit confusing, but is nonetheless true. Salvation in Jesus is available to all. And this is where this topic gets a little tricky. In Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 24, we read, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we see here that everyone, Jew or Gentile alike, has the opportunity to come to salvation in Jesus Christ. But here's the kicker. You have to choose to come to that salvation. No one can force you to do it. And it's still the only way to get to heaven. It's not like you can just wander through this earth and Jesus is going to let you into heaven regardless of what you decided because he's a loving God. No. His love sent Jesus to the cross so that we could fulfill his perfect standard of righteousness through Jesus. See, God didn't lower the standards so that we could get into heaven. Instead, he brought us a bridge that would fulfill the very perfect standards of God so that we could be seen through those perfect standards. And so you can see in this point that God is exclusive and inclusive at the same time because he has a way for everyone to come to him, but we still have to decide. So this first part of what we're talking about talks about the process and the way that we come to the one and only true God. And I just want to review this with you real quick. And these three points that we just discussed, Jesus is the way. There's no other way besides Jesus. In Acts 4.12, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. And then we see that Jesus is the difference between life and death. You know, God told the children of Israel, I have set before you life and death, therefore choose life that you and your descendants may live. 
and they often chose death. They would go and they would serve other gods, and then God in his mercy would pull them back to himself. But he was planning from the beginning of time to give us the ultimate show of choosing life by choosing life in Jesus. So choosing Jesus is the difference between life and death. And then our third point in the first part of this discussion is salvation in Jesus is available to all. There is no people group, there is no religion, there is no race that is exempted from being able to embrace the love of God. But in order to come to the love of God, you must put aside your religion and put aside your sin and instead embrace the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is why, as believers, we say that Christianity isn't a religion, it's a person. There were plenty of people in Jesus' day that got the religious quote-unquote thing right. But Jesus said, you profess to know me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. He wasn't interested in people's religious practices. He was interested in their hearts. The reason that he raised the lame man off his pallet who was put through the roof of the house, was not so much for the benefit of physically healing the young man, even though I'm sure he delighted to do that. His purpose was, as he stated in that passage, so that you may see that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. The fact that he was able to physically heal the lame man showed that he had power on earth to forgive sins. That was amazing. And all the religious leaders could do was stand there dumbfounded as they no doubt scraped roof tiles off their clothing, which they try to keep pristine. That's a picture that I hold in my head every time I read that passage. It's just, it's just watching in my mind's eye the uncomfort of these men who are prim and proper and they think they're godly dealing with Jesus and being upset with him, and then on top of all that, having their pristine clothing, which they thought mattered, then so much, so many other things, because outward appearances mattered so much to them, and have all this that they have to deal with in reconciling who Jesus was. And they never could. And it's interesting to me that their biggest reason for going after Jesus, when it really comes down to it, is they did not want him to take their place among the people. He was getting more popular than they were, and they were worried about him stealing their popularity. More than they were worried about anything that he taught, they were worried about losing their popularity. And so I just think it's so important for us to realize these three truths. Jesus is the way. Belief in Jesus is the difference between life and death, and salvation in Jesus is available to all. All right, so what if you have come to know the Lord Jesus? What is important for you to know then? And what? why is it so important to, for us to realize that there is a very specific calling that Jesus places on Christians? You see, there's a lot of people that think that you can 
believe a lot of different things within the confines of Christianity. But the scope of Christianity is actually quite narrow, and the expectations are actually quite high. So let's look at that in the second part as we look at what God calls Christians to be. There's a lot of people who say that they are Christians or that they embrace a Christian ideal. But here is what a Christian ideal actually is. And the first point in our second part is Jesus calls us to be separate. 2 Corinthians 6:17-18 says, "Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty." So in 2 Corinthians, Paul is pointing out that it is the responsibility of Christians to be separate. Why are we to be separate? Because we are to show a new and living way to the people around us. We are to show that it's not simply a matter of wandering through this earth, but it's a matter of living a life of purpose and hope. We are to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, as Paul says in Philippians. God is calling us to something new and better, and we need to embrace it. So the first thing is that Jesus calls us to be separate. The second thing in our second part of this discussion is that Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. You know, one of the alarming trends that goes around social media often is this idea of don't care what anybody else thinks. Just do what's best for you. Just make a good life for yourself. And I understand that when many people are saying that, they are saying, don't let the naysayers get to you. Just continue to push on to your dreams. But there's also a very dangerous component to that, to where we have learned in our culture not to live in community, not to live with the betterment of other people as our main focus. And we need to do that. We need to put others first, and we need to realize that that is when society is benefited. God instituted the family to be the bedrock of society. He gave the man a wife because there was no other helper among the animals that he named. And he took that wife from the rib of man and he created the woman from the man and he created the woman to help the man. I don't think we spend a lot of time dwelling on this and a lot of women get offended when you talk about male leadership. But the reality is, if you are a woman, you are created for the express purpose of helping a man. Now, does that mean that you need to be married today or that you will necessarily get married? No. But what it does mean is that women are given a specific role, a role of honor, as helpers in society, and it's an important thing for us to realize that there's nothing wrong with that. And we're living in a society, and even in a church society often, that gets this wrong and acts like it's a disservice to women to submit themselves to a man, when in fact it's the God-ordained order of things. Can this be abused? Absolutely. And anyone who abuses it should be 
held accountable and that's awful and there's no excuse. But it doesn't make the truth any less true. We are called to live a different life and to be separate. So, Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, to put the happiness of others above ourselves. And we see that in Philippians as well. In Philippians chapter 2 when it says, let each esteem other better than themselves. So, then we see that Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, then Jesus said unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up my cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. So Jesus is saying here that in losing your life, then you will find purpose. In surrendering surrendering your life to me, you will find purpose. And I think oftentimes we talk about the nth degree or think about the nth degree when we see this, but I I see this as a daily thing where we can deny the things that we want for the betterment of others. And as we serve others, we are serving God because God says, if you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And so while it may cost us our actual life someday, and that may be part of the denial that we embrace for the gospel, I think there's a lot of application for this truth in everyday life. So we've seen Jesus calls us to be separate. We've seen Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. Now we see Jesus as our example. And this is the primary reason that we need to live a separate life. This is the primary reason why we need to deny ourselves because we have a master that did the same thing. In 1 Peter, Peter says in chapter 2, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins shall live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed, for ye were as sheep going astray, but now are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So Peter is saying, Jesus gave us the example, and remember what Jesus said when he was on the earth. He said, The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus flips the paradigm and says, people in the world will tell you that being served is what it's all about. Having servants is what makes you significant. But he says, the greatest among you will be a servant. And so I think that's really important to realize. And then we see that Jesus suffered for us. And he left us an example. He doesn't, he did not sin, nor was there any guile in his mouth. And he was reviled, but didn't revile again. Remember on the night in which he was falsely accused and tried and convicted, 
and brought to the cross, the only time he opened his mouth, basically, was to affirm the fact that he was indeed the Son of God. He didn't fight back. He didn't inflame the people with his words. As a matter of fact, he fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah when it says, As a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. So we have an amazing God with whom we have to do. We have an amazing God who gave himself for us and leaves us the example to give ourselves for him and for others. So in review of this second part, we see that after we come to salvation, three things that Jesus calls us to that are very important. Jesus calls us to be separate. And we read the passage about how we're to come out from among them and be separate from 2 Corinthians six seventeen and 18. That can be a very difficult thing to do when often our greatest desire is to blend in. And again, this needs to be balanced because there is a place for blending in. But there's also times when living in the dark world that we live in, we need to stick out like a sore thumb and be willing to be counted as someone who has come out and been separate. Then we saw that Jesus calls us to to deny ourselves. If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to deny ourselves. We need to put his will above our own. We need to put others above ourselves. Let each esteem other better than themselves. And we learned that from Matthew 16, 24 and 25. And then finally, we saw that Jesus is our example. And that was in 1 Peter 2, 21 to 25, where we talked about how Jesus calmly took punishment for us, which is so amazing to think about. This one who did no sin took punishment patiently, and we who are sinners often bristle under punishment. But Jesus shows us the example uh, that we should take it willingly and, you know, if we deserve punishment, obviously he uses that in our lives to build us up and make us conform to the image of his son and put us on the right track because we read in Hebrews that a father disciplines his children because he loves them. And if we are persecuted for righteousness, sake, we are told in Matthew to rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. So God sees all the persecution we go through, all the difficulties we go through, and he will reward us if we are faithful. So I think we've seen as we've unloaded these six aspects of Jesus' message that he actually was very exclusive. He wants to welcome as many people in as want to come, but he also has definite standards. Again, if there were any other way to procure redemption, Jesus would have taken it. But because there wasn't, he went to the cross on our behalf.
Well, that's about all I have time for this week. I hope that you've been benefited by our discussion, and I hope that next time someone talks to you about the inclusive nature of Jesus, that you'll be able to bring them to this discussion in a godly and loving way. And I really just hope it encourages you to continue on and speak boldly for the truth. You know, there's a lot to be said for sharing the truth in love. And I understand that oftentimes we as Christians don't do the best job of that. But I also know that no matter how loving we are, if we are sharing the truth, some people will think that we are haters because those who hate the truth will hate us for proclaiming it because they hated Jesus first. He told us that they would hate us for his sake, and he prepared us for that. He said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I wish you an awesome week, and I want to encourage you to keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 